welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Break it down news of the day. My contributor, none other than Wozni Lombre, TYT contributor, all star. Always good to have him on the show. Top story of the day, hell of a thing. All right. A mother of a mass shooter has been convicted of the mass shooting. This sets a different type of precedent. Some are saying it was about time. I'm going to take you to the reading of the verdict. Here it is. I am. Could you please uh, read your verdict? Um, individually? Sure. Okay. Um, on count one of involuntary manslaughter, as to Madison Baldwin, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. On count two of involuntary manslaughter in regards to Tate Muir, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. On count three, as to involuntary manslaughter regarding Hannah Hanna St. Juliana, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. And in count four of involuntary manslaughter against Justin Schilling, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Thank you for allowing me to Yep, put it up full mass. The attorney seemed more shocked than the defendant. A jury has now found Jennifer Crumbly, the mother of the Michigan school shooter, Ethan Crumbly. Let's put up Ethan, guilty of involuntary manslaughter in connection with the shooting deaths of four students at Oxford High from November 2021. Uh, He has pleaded uh, guilty and the parents are both going to be held accountable. The mother has been found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Uh, The father will have a case coming up in a couple of months. So Crumbly was found guilty on all four counts of involuntary manslaughter. I'm going to explain what doctrine this is in law. Involuntary manslaughter in connection with the shooting, one for each victim, Madison Baldwin, 17, Tate, Myrie, 16, Justin Schilling, 17, and Hannah St. Juliana was only 14 years of age. The jury deliberated for roughly 11 hours, beginning on Monday morning. Sentencing is scheduled for April 9th. Jennifer and James Crumbly, are a rare case of parents being charged in connection with a shooting carried out by their son. James Crumbly, who also faces four counts of involuntary manslaughter, will have a separate trial in March. Now, I know some people are looking at this and saying, oh my goodness, while what happened was horrific, to convict the parents of murder seems to be well beyond prosecutorial authority here. This is akin to what we would call in law depraved indifference, okay? Depraved indifference. It is the same line of thinking that you can have such depravity in how you respond or lack thereof, a lack of response, that you knew your lack of response would likely cause injury or death to someone else. And typically, 
there's a responsibility factor involved, meaning you have a responsibility of care. Naturally, a parent has a responsibility of care. No one would argue that. When I give you the details as to why this jury found Ms. Cromley guilty, you are probably going to agree. Now, the jury foreperson told ABC News, ABC News producer, as she was walking to a car, that the verdict, quote, came down to the fact that Jennifer was the last adult with the gun. Ethan Crumbly, who was 15 at the time, has been sentenced to life in prison for killing four students and injuring seven others at Oxford High School. He pleaded guilty to 24 charges, including first degree premeditated murder and terrorism causing death. In a days long trial, prosecutors presented damning evidence of the Crumbly parents who bought their son the gun he used in the shooting. Let me just stop there before I continue. This is a little bit different than some of the other cases where a minor is involved. They specifically purchased the gun for, for the troubled minor, knowing that he was in fact troubled, okay? Mentally unstable. They purchased the gun as a birthday gift. Not only did they purchase the gun, they then taught him how to shoot it. They trained him, took him to the shooting range with the gun. Once again, understanding he is having mental health difficulties. So this was a presentation submitted to the jury. There's more. All right. So they purchased the gun used in the shooting, failing to respond to warning signs exhibited by the shooter prior to the attack. School officials had called the Crumbly parents to the school. The morning of the shooting, they called the parents to the school the morning of the shooting. After finding violent drawings he had done on a school assignment, he's telling you what he's feeling on the inside. His outward expression is his inward reality. So the school picked up on this, called the parents in. It was just that serious. These pictures were that violent. He was also caught searching online for bullets at school. He's searching for bullets. At school, they have the forensic computer data for that. Watching shooting videos in class and drawing violent images on several other papers. We're talking about papers that were submitted for assignment, all right? So he's letting people know, possibly even calling out for help in a subconscious way. School officials testified that the parents, when they were at the school, they chose not to take their son home. They said no, despite the school telling them that he needs to get immediate help. And offering them, the school then offered them facilities that provided same day mental health care services. The parents said no. Now, the parents told the school they could not take him home because they both had to return to work. I want you to remember this point because this point comes back up in the trial. So they say they can't do it. They got to go back to work. And that if he left school, he would have to walk home and be alone. The school officials who were worried about his mental health did not think it was a good idea for him to be alone since they were concerned he was considering suicide. The parents chose to send him back to class 
and told the school that they would get him mental health care later. Jennifer Crumbly and her attorney, Shannon Smith, argued that the school had been nonchalant during the meeting and did not insist he be taken home. Obviously, that was refuted. During the trial, the CEO of the company, the CEO of the company where Jennifer Crumbly worked, testified that she could have left work if she needed to care for her son or she could have brought him back with her to the office. It had been done before. On the stand, Crumbly actually did in fact admit that she would have been able to not return to work. Now, what do we have? We have a lie. We have a lie out of convenience to not be a parent to the child you are responsible for. She lied. She admitted on the stand, I lied. So what is the connection? Once again, depraved indifference, all right? That is the line of thinking here. In text messages she sent after the shooting, Jennifer Crumbly told a man that she was having an affair with. She had time for that. That she was having an affair with longtime friend Brian Maloshi, that the shooting, quote, could have been prevented. She said this in the text. And that the school should not have allowed him to return to class. But, madam, once again, a second lie. You're the one who made him go back to class. The school was trying to get him out of the school into a mental health facility, according to the facts. So she has basically convicted herself, but she just changed the narrative. Ethan Crumbly's parents purchased him the gun he used for the shooting as a gift and took him to the shooting range before the attack. Prosecutors argued that the parents did not secure the gun, nor did they limit the son's access to it. Jennifer Crumbly testified that it was her husband's responsibility to ensure the gun was stored securely and their son could not access it. One of the arguments made by her lawyer was that she did not know guns that well that did not fly. Smith also argued that in Oxford, where the school shooting happened, it is common for students who go hunting with guns. It is common for students to go hunting with guns. A school official testified that many seniors take prom portraits, prom pictures with their guns. And they are often reminded not to come to school with their guns during hunting season. The parents of several of the students killed in the Oxford school shooting told Good Morning America Tuesday they were pleased with the verdict. Okay, now you have a more holistic picture here, all right? Understand cause and effect, understand this may be an extreme way to hold a parent accountable, responsible, but clearly we're not talking about one failure, we're not talking about two, we're talking about a system of inaction. A system of ignoring definitely seems depraved to me, depraved indifference. Now, let's go to the underlying principle here, gun culture. Gun culture, a school official testified during this trial, guns are so pervasive in the culture of that local community that students will literally bring the guns to school. And they have to be reminded during hunting season, you can't bring the gun to the school completely against the law. Uh, most jurisdictions would arrest you on spot. It's called zero tolerance rule, all right? 
So if we were talking about this in the context of, let's say, Chicago, guns as culture would be part of the narrative. We'll be talking about guns, guns, guns. This is part of gun culture. This is an expression of gun culture. But all of a sudden, when we talk about it as it relates to urban, excuse me, suburban America, no longer is gun culture part of the argument. While these parents absolutely, in my opinion, were negligent in a criminal way, the gun culture plays into this in an extreme way as well. You cannot talk about one and dismiss the other. Students are bringing guns to the damn school. They have to be reminded not to. All right, Wasti, it's a hell of a thing. It's an extreme precedent in case law for sure. But there are some people saying, given the circumstances, the jury made the right decision. What say you? I would say I'd have to agree with the jury here in the sense that they empowered this kid to not just use guns, but to own a gun. Um, He couldn't go to a store, a gun shop, and legally purchase the gun on his own. He's not legally old enough to own and register a gun under his name, right? And so they enabled him to participate in a criminal act by just owning a gun and having free access to the gun. Um, they're responsible in that sense. And, you know, this thing can go both ways in terms of how well a parent knows their kid. Some parents might know, like, nah, Johnny's a little unstable. He doesn't need to have a gun. But as you well know, Dr. Richie, a lot of parents are in denial about yeah. what kind of kids they're raising, are in denial about how angry, how violent their kid is capable of being. And so, yeah, I would say that ultimately they do bear the responsibility when you think about like it was them who gave him this gun to have as a 15 year old. And then, you know, to speak to the culture, a lot of times I feel a little um, uneasy as a Yankee uh, talking about gun culture, because just the idea that at 15 years old, any adult would have said to me, I entrust you with this gun is anathema. It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible to, to even understand. And especially this idea where you would bring guns to school where in, you know, damn near half the public schools in New York City had metal detectors before you even walked in. Um, just the idea that kids would be running around with guns in school. Kids having guns at all is crazy. Kids carrying them around their classmates is nuts. And just, you know, just the idea that this this having a gun culture permeates throughout um, even youth culture in certain areas in our country is, is pretty scary. Yeah, and I do believe the jury took into consideration the knowledge of the parent. And that was a point recognized not only by the prosecutor, but also by the jury members who decided obviously to convict. Uh, The child did not try to hide this from anybody. And the parents were well aware of the mental decline and still decided to purchase the gun, train the uh, minor on how to shoot the gun, and left the gun completely accessible to the minor. If another adult outside of the parents would have done so, we would be saying, yep, guilty. Fox News, so during an interview on Sean Hannity's show, uh, the guardian angels decided to rough up a man on live television and um, Hannity was loving it. Here it is. In fact, our guys have just taken down one of the migrant guys right here on the corner of 42nd and 7th while all can, this is Can you is pan taken. the camera? They've taken over. 
They've taken over. You light the camera over there if at all possible. Yep. Oh, you got your key open, guys. He is out of control. Out of control. There. All right. Now, Eric Adams often complains he's getting no support from the federal government to help him with the surge of Joe Biden's unvetted illegals in New York. And that could be because of the so-called border czar is a little distracted right now. Put up the picture for a mass. We just watched an assault on live television and the host was saying, turn the camera around, let's make sure we see it. Uh, Encouraging this kind of behavior. Now remember, there's a political angle here. One of the individuals actually ran for mayor himself, trying to get more political points on Sean Hannity's show. Hannity did cut the video at a point, but returned to give a few extra details with his guests. Well, he had been shoplifting first, um, Sly Wa claim. The guardian angel spotted him, stopped him, he resisted. And let's just say we gave him a little pain compliance. His mother back in Venezuela uh, felt, the, felt the vibrations. He is sucking concrete. The cops scraped him off the asphalt. He's on his way to jail. That's what the man said, okay? He also added, uh, but they'll cut him loose. We've got to take 42nd Street back, Sean. Put, put his picture back up again. Sir, somebody's going to kick your ass, sir, if you keep playing around like this. What are you talking about? He says, these illegals, they think they own this street. They think they rule the night. This is our country. If they can't abide by the rules, then they're going to be going to kick them back to where they came from. The, the racism, the bigotry, uh, the allowance of it on Fox News with no pushback, okay? Back where they came from, right? There's more. Uh, so he also promised that people who commit crimes don't belong in our country. People who commit crimes don't belong in our country. 81% of Americans will commit a crime. Uh, 100% will commit a crime by the age of 12 years old based on statutory <laughs> rule, all right? They just won't be caught. So basically, we won't have a country predicated on his proclamation. So he says they don't belong in our country and that his group, which he founded in the 1970s and now reportedly has chapters in 13 countries, would make sure you pay a price for that, end quote. Uh, we've got to fight for what we know is right. Uh, you saw a little bit of this, he added. Um, all right, uh, you know, taking the law into your own hand, I guess. Um, beating up a person for um, shoplifting food um, because they're hungry. I guess that gets your rocks off. Um, I guarantee you there are a few streets you won't go down and play that mess with them. And while you have your camera crew there and you're acting big and bad, you're not solving any problems, sir. You're creating them. You see, cause and effect has a relationship. You're dealing with effect. So now you're dealing with effect on effect. That's it. You're in effect. And what you just did was an effect. And you're not dealing with cause. 
causes this. If a man has a livable wage, he doesn't have to shoplift. If a woman has a stable work environment and a stable home environment, that woman does not have to shoplift. See, this is a very minor dynamic that we can all easily understand. You dealing with effect only creates more effect from that. It does not treat the cause. But we are in a place in our political conversation where literally any legislation that is being presented to deal with cause, to help resolve the underlying principle that permeates into the effect, that policy, those resolutions, that bipartisan agreement is being called ridiculous. Don't do it. Don't give them that. It'll make the Democrats look like they won, etc. Um, Wasley, it's sad as hell, man, that these individuals really believe they're right. And there are a lot of people backing them with this insanity. Yeah, I'm I'm a New York City native. And so watching that clip is it struck me in the sense that New York, uh, we're pretty proud about our, our um, sort of reputation for being the cultural hub of the country in the sense that it's the most diverse city in the most diverse country in the world. I'm wondering how this guy can tell who a migrant is in Manhattan. Uh, that that seems absurd to me that these guys can pick out because again this is a very immigrant um forward city and you know quote unquote legal immigrants there's a bunch of them all around New York City so I'm wondering you can't just say oh this person's speaking Spanish they're an immigrant that person might be Puerto Rican those are American citizens you know like I I really do wonder how these dudes think that uh they can just spot an immigrant and I don't know why they think they feel empowered to sort of um, deal with the quote unquote problem as they see it, uh, this just reads to me as bigotry. I, I you know, I, I, I hesitate to, to go there oftentimes, but a lot of times it's it's pretty obvious what these guys are talking about and who they think don't belong in America or in New York City. And you know, the last thing I'll say, Doctor Richie, is that I do know people who work in social services in New York. You know, like people that I grew up with. Uh, the infrastructure is a bit overwhelmed right yeah. now. Um, I don't think the answer is to beat people up on the streets. Uh, I think the answer is to provide more resources to the infrastructure, you know, around New York City as it deals with getting people to and from court dates, um, having housing for people to stay in and things of that nature. Uh, I, I, I obviously don't think that the answer is these white boys playing cowboys right. uh, and, and beating people up in time for freaking square. Very well said. Um, let me say this, two main reasons for undocumented immigration. Number one, CEOs, companies in America willing to hire them. That's over 90%. Okay. Number two, the instability of the country they come from. If you want to solve it, you tackle those two dynamics immediately. You help stabilize the nation. Hell, we can spend unlimited money to destroy a nation. Hmm. We can't spend a little bit of money to stabilize them. No, because we actually benefit from the manipulation of the economic markets that are being done in those countries. We benefit from the cheap labor. Do you see the point, all right?
Remember the story we brought you where a young mother delivered her child, okay? The child's head detached from the body. She didn't know this. They allegedly tried to cover it up, right? Tried to hide it. It's been ruled a homicide. Let's put it with the picture full mass. I'm going to take you to Clayton County, Georgia. A medical examiner ruled that the death of Jessica Ross's baby was in fact a homicide. The Clayton County, Georgia medical examiner's office said the baby died from a broken neck and the baby's head was detached. The medical examiner said pregnancy induced diabetes and premature rupture of the membranes were also significant conditions contributing to the infant's death. But homicide means what? It means a human being caused a death. So let's get into that. Jessica Ross filed a lawsuit in August alleging the Southern Regional Medical Center attempted to conceal the manner of death of the baby. Trevion Isaiah Taylor Jr. from her and her boyfriend. Trayvon Isaiah Taylor Sr. along with the whole family. Last year's suit claimed the attending physician, the doctor, Tracy St. Julian, negligently applied excessive traction on the baby's head and the hospital failed to do a C-section in a timely and proper manner. Now there's the other part, hospital workers allegedly lied to the couple, telling them that a free autopsy was not an option under the circumstances. That was a lie. The complaint alleges that this false information was given to avoid a forensic autopsy and to obstruct the gathering of evidence, authority said. Furthermore, the complaint alleges that healthcare providers at the hospital then pressured the young couple to cremate their baby in an attempt to destroy the actual evidence. It was only on July 13th, several days after delivery and the day after Ross left the hospital, the staff told them about the head detachment. The plaintiff's statement said, the hospital has said that St. Julian did not work for them because she was only using their facility. They assert that the baby's death occurred in utero prior to the delivery and head detachment. That they voluntarily reported the death to the Clayton County Medical Examiner's Office and were cooperating with all investigators. The case is still actually under investigation by the Clayton County Police Department and could be referred to the DA's office. Uh, a release, the release said Ross and her boyfriend are expected to give a public uh, press conference. Um, and this is one of those blame this person, blame that person. No, 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 no. It's nobody's fault. It's a lot of twists and turns here. Bottom line, they were not told when it happened. They weren't. I mean, to me, that is evidence of a guilty conscience. Somebody knows something did not happen properly. Um, at least now they do have the knowledge. Wheels of justice are moving in the right direction. There's an investigation 
that is currently underway. And the details, at least those that are um, available to us, um, are able to be vetted and thoroughly investigated as well. Uh, Was hell of a story. Uh, these uh, would be parents, right? These would be, would be parents did a lot of preparation. They went to their um, prenatal classes. They they all did the whole family thing to make sure everybody was ready for this new bundle of joy. And then all of a sudden, tragedy happens, and seemingly the hospital medical staff engaged in a cover up to try to keep them from knowing. It's literally a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, this is supposed to be, you know, one of life's biggest and greatest blessings: the birth of a new child, a new member of the family, and to have it unfold in such a tragic manner. Uh, my heart goes out to the family um, of the mom and the dad. Uh, this is absolutely terrible, and. You know, these things are often compounded whenever a bureaucracy gets involved and they detach any concept of a humanity um, here. It's just how do we cover our own ASSs uh, and get out from under this? Not how do we deal with these people in the most humane fashion possible, people who have endured one of life's greatest tragedies possible, which is losing a child um, while in our care. It's not that the resources and the energies aren't put into, you know, making these folks whole, making them right, uh, basically helping these folks heal. Instead, the resources and a bureaucracy go to covering things up. And I can't say that I'm surprised we see this all the time, you know, you see a company, uh, they contaminate the water supply of some town. Do they go around making it right for everybody? They No, they get the covering themselves and getting out from under it. Like anytime a company, a corporation, a bureaucracy finds themselves on the wrong side of a tragedy, they never voluntarily step up and do the right thing. They always go the other way and try to wipe their hands clean of any and all responsibility. Yep, and the irony is medical doctors, I know this is going to sound harsh, but medical doctors, um, they can make mistakes. Their mistakes can kill people. Uh, It has to be outside of industry practice. If they do something that is well outside of industry norms or established practice, that's when accountability, liability can be attached. But if they're following the standard protocol or accepted industry practice, typically a mistake or an action that leads to injury or death, the liability, criminal liability in particular, is not attributed to the doctor. So the fact that there was seemingly a cover-up says there may be more there. I want you to get a copy of my signed book, all right? We now have it. It is at Shop TYT. Uh, This is my book in reference to ancient Egyptian mastery of quantum physics. So here's what I did. I did a really interesting lens of interpretation of ancient advanced technology, things that we have never been able to figure out. How did they do this? How did they build this? How did they know this? I took that, utilized the lens of quantum physics and some of the geometric sciences we are aware of today in engineering. And this was part of my master's thesis in my applied physics program. So you can have it, sign a copy. I sat down, I signed every single one of them. 
and they are for you. If you would like to just download some of my research, I have a research paper that is out now, peer reviewed and published in the International Journal of Science and Research called Quantum Physics of Neuroscience Contextualized Through Human Neurological Applications. That is free for you. You can always have that. It is very similar in nature, all right? Very different in concept. Okay. Let's go back to the beginning and see what caused all of this. Here it is. We've made a breakthrough here, sir. You see, it, it wasn't about them yelling into the microphone, was it? You can tell me. It was about them giving you 13 damn dollars for five hours of work. <laughs> All right? Um, <laughs> so, yes, that lumber, you're going to hell, man. You can't laugh at this, man. Uh, All right, here's the thing. It was kind of funny, but when you think about it, it's kind of sad, right? He got to work on his bad side matters. Uh, his extreme anger is probably not going to get him higher tips if that's the goal. Uh, I would also uh, suggest talking to people who literally go to an establishment in order to get wasted. Everything is going to be really, really funny and even more funny than it originally would have been. So it's not the greatest time to uh, reason with individuals. Uh, and I do hope somebody just gave him you know, a $20 bill or $50 bill just for his trouble. Uh, but literally this man said, it's no more karaoke for you at all. He was going to take his karaoke machine and he was going to leave. Um, Wasney, that is a hell of a thing to do on Karaoke Tuesday. Yeah, I think where this gentleman aired, and I feel sympathy for him because anybody who knows that's ever been to karaoke, you can't really tone police. 
That's the point of karaoke. Yeah, people are just not gonna have the right tone and the right pitch on the mic, and so he should be used to that as a veteran karaoke moderator, um, as as you will. And you know, the second part is it's kind of discriminatory his attitudes, Doctor Richie, towards heavy metal death. Rock stuff. <laughs> that's that's right. what that you must yell. Sounds like <laughs> right. you know, like these people ain't up there singing Aretha Franklin. Like they're 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 singing heavy metal death stuff. So I don't know what yeah, he, what I, they're supposed to do with that. Right. It, it was about the money. You know, I mean, he was using that as a proxy, but it was about the money. And, and let me say this: I get upset when a person on karaoke night. Karaoke night is not meant for professional singers. Yeah. I get highly offended when somebody gets on that damn microphone and can actually sing. That that is that's going to make all of us look bad. We yeah. are here to enjoy ourselves, all right? You need to take that to a talent show. This karaoke night. A woman gets awarded 360 plus million dollars. Because FedEx discriminated against her according to the verdict. Judge steps in and says, ah, you know what? That's way too much money. Uh, we're gonna give her uh, you know, 248,000. Yeah, that's that's how we'll chop that down. Put it up full mass. To go from over 360 million to 248,000. In an update, a federal appeals court on Thursday. Threw out a $366.2 million verdict against FedEx in a case brought by Jennifer Harris, a sales manager who said the package delivery company fired her in retaliation for accusing her supervisor of race discrimination. So, so previously, the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals said. The plaintiff, Jennifer Harris, was entitled to none, none of the 365 million of punitive damages that a Houston jury awarded her in October of 20 of 2022. It also reduced Harris's damages for pain and suffering, mental anguish, and inconvenience to 248,620 from 1.16 million. Despite finding sufficient evidence to support her retaliation claim, evidence was sufficient. FedEx said in a statement that it remains confident that it acted properly, even though everybody, including the judges, you did not act properly. FedEx said in a statement it remains confident that it acted properly regarding the termination of Harris, um, her employment, and is pleased with the court's decision to reduce the damages. Harris's lawyers did not immediately respond to requests for comment. I'm going to give you a reminder of the case. The award um, against Memphis, Tennessee-based FedEx had been, been among the largest in the U.S. workplace bias or retaliation case involving a single worker. Harris had worked for FedEx for more than 12 years, first as a sales representative and ultimately as a district sales manager before being fired in January 2020. She said her firing stemmed from her complaints about her supervisor, a white woman who had given her a poor performance review and who Harris alleged had tried to demote her. 
But the New Orleans-based appeals court said Harris did not meet the heavy burden under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 of showing that FedEx acted with malice or reckless indifference toward her in the face of a perceived risk that its actions would violate federal law. Put up the circuit court judge who basically rendered a judgment based on opinion. Circuit court judge Wilson said the evidence suggested that the supervisor believed Harris should be disciplined for insubordination, not in retaliation for her complaints. The judge is a Trump, you know, judge. All right, so here's the thing. Judges have this awesome power, this great authority to do such things. Tort reform law created a lot of this inside of state courts in particular. And by extension, by proxy, some of our federal jurisdictions. Now, what is the judge saying? The judge is saying that damn what everybody else said. Based on the judge's reading of discriminatory law. The heavy burden was not met here. Disrespecting the actual verdict. Now, this person single-handedly has reduced the debt to 248,000 that FedEx will owe her. And basically made null any opportunity to actually recoup real money for the suffering. Um, This is the state of our judicial system in many ways now. And I guarantee you, there's some connections with the business community, or let's just say commerce community, and this particular judge. There always is, and this judge decided to save corporate America. Um, Was hell of a thing, right? I mean, and then the insult is, to go from over 360 million to 248,000, he takes away the actual damages as they were calculated initially and brings that down as well. It's almost like he was working to get to a number already perceived in his mind he should be at. Yeah, it's and again, to be clear, we see these big numbers get thrown around in these um, lawsuits all the time when when uh, folks bring complaints against these huge mega corporations. And oftentimes they don't get anything near the number that they, you know, that they started out with, even though they won. Like we understand that. But generally, we know. This woman would have probably got something in the tens of millions of dollars that would have made absolute sense and been in line with precedent. Because it's not just about the damages, um, both mentally uh, and sort of spiritually, if you will, emotionally. Uh, There's just a lack of employment, the loss of wages, um, the amount of time that it took. She has to pay for her lawyers. All of this stuff that needs to be paid back. And I think the biggest part is that it serves as a deterrent for future bad behavior. You know, um, if you 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 should not be treating your employees like this unless you want to be paying out tens of millions of dollars every single time when they take your butt to court, right? That's generally how this goes. But you know, 
Oftentimes, the little guy, even yep. when they do do things the right way, they yep. finally win in court against an army of lawyers and attorneys on the other side. It doesn't even matter because the game is so rigged against everyday Americans, Dr. Richie. They don't have relationships with judges and big old people um, within the system. Uh, and these corporations do. And this is just so obvious, right? Like that this guy has no credibility that he could render this kind of verdict. Yeah. It's just obvious and it's just a shame. It speaks to the frustrations that many Americans feel that the system is rigged against them. Uh, there's no vote that they can take that's gonna change this thing. There's no action that they can take and that things are ultimately hopeless. Even when you do win, Dr. Richie somehow. Yep. yep. And, and imagine how Trump supporters would be if this was Donald Trump on trial, right? Oh, please. Uh, and oh and a judge decided to do it the other way around, right? To increase the penalty. Make it harsher. That. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. They, they would have a complete, complete breakdown. All right. Welcome back. A lot of show left. Okay. Um, let me remind everyone, we have a GoFundMe, a story that we covered as an indisputable exclusive. Family was evicted in Alabama. They've been homeless since January. The teen daughter suffered through a major medical issue. The family got into a financial situation, but they were able to pay the rent. However, the apartment complex said, mm, no. Uh, they were able to secure funding for a period of time. Uh, but they said no, and still got evicted, and Carl got repossessed. And we now have a GoFundMe established in order to help the family get a fresh start. All right. All right. Well, Trump paid fake union workers to act like union workers and got caught. Here it is. This is very embarrassing, right? He's trying to look like he was supporting the union. But he's at a non-union facility that he filled with people who were given signs and effectively told to pretend to be union workers or even to pretend to be auto workers when they were no such thing. He did a fake event. I mean, the whole thing was fake. And then it was in the Detroit press the next day that it was fake. This you skipped the debate for? It was so embarrassing at the time. Um, and now, as of right now, there are receipts. Literal receipts, the campaign finance filings that just came out for all the various campaigns. Uh, reporter Jonathan Oosting at, at Bridge, Michigan dug in and found that on that day in September, the Trump campaign indeed paid a $20,000 rental fee to pay to rent that auto parts plant, which was not a union facility. So he could pretend it was full of union auto workers who supported him when it was actually just full of randos holding signs that said that's who they were, even though that's not who they were. The hail. Yeah. Yeah. You see, for Trump, it's all about marketing. It's all about the promotion. It's all about the commercial. Nothing to do with substance. Uh, you know, there's a group, AFL, Seattle, Michigan, they got something to say about this. Here's what I found on their site, all right? The Trump reelection campaign. They say, paid $20,000 to stage a rally at Drake Enterprises, a non-union part supplier facility in Michigan back in September. The rally was seemingly an attempt to curry favor 
with striking union auto workers after President Biden made history the day before as the first president to walk a picket line. Reporters at the Trump event struggled to find any evidence of auto workers in attendance. In reaction, Michigan AFL-CIO Communications Director Aaron Palo released the following statement, quote, having to pay 20 grand to rent a non-union facility because nobody wanted to host your event is literally so embarrassing. Trump's whole bit is that he supports blue collar Americans and wants to protect auto jobs, but he couldn't even find a real auto worker to hold up a rally sign. Scabbing his truly never looked, has truly never looked so desperate. Trump's record is decidedly anti-worker. During his presidency, he slashed health and safety protection. Packed the National Labor Relations Board with anti-union appointees. Installed anti-worker judges. Oversaw an increase in offshoring. And slashed taxes for billionaires and wealthy corporations at the expense of the workers. You know, labor unions, and I specifically mean labor unions. Labor unions, this is about determination, self-determination. Labor unions were created in order to protect their interest as corporations attempted to leverage interest against them. And this was a way that they could fight back. And so they organized, they fought, they created legislation, lobbied members of state house and state senate, Various states got stuff passed. They even got some federal laws on the books. It took work. It took grassroots organizing. Now, are there some unions out of control? You're damn right. Police union, completely out of control. Completely out of control. This is about protecting one's ability to have a stable income and a stable work environment, right? Now, Donald Trump, however, he is being called out. You got to think about this. He's such a bad leader that this is barely a blip on the radar, barely, because he's done so many more extreme things. But see, this is the important part. Unions, a lot of black people in America benefit because there's a union protection there. There's only so much that can happen. And even with those protections, things still happen. We got to get involved. This is what it means to stand up for workers. He's standing up for non-union, but faking the funk with union signs and has been caught. He will not be forced to make a statement, unfortunately. Was, I mean, the, the man is number one in the Republican primary to be president of the United States. And, and these childish um, tricks are still not able to harm his popularity in the Republican ranks. Yeah, I mean, this would be way at the bottom of of Trump transgressions, as ugly as it is, which I think speaks to the level of ridiculousness that's come out of what is now his third presidential campaign, which sounds pretty crazy, even saying. Um, um, You know, again, I think folks need to realize 
First and foremost, well, why does Donald Trump need to hire fake union employees for a fake rally at a place that doesn't even employ union work? Because he's a Republican and the Republicans essentially invented union busting and anti-unionism in this country. And they have gone on that path unabated for hundreds of years. This is the party of union busting. This is the party of management. This is the party of corporate America. They don't love unions. And now look, there might be some union people out there who like Donald Trump, but even those people in their heart of hearts know no Republican in charge would ever be friendly to the unions. It's yep. it's it, it's antithetical to the entire mission statement of the conservative movement, which is essentially the only animating force of the Republican Party. Like that, that's not even uh, feasible as an idea. But I will say this about Donald Trump. I think he's somebody that understand the optics of being seen to be with the working man. When you hear him say the things that he says about stuff like social security and Medicare, etc. Like he knows where the wind is blowing. It's just disingenuous. And we yep. know when push comes to shove who he's going to actually going to side with. And it's not going to be the American worker. There you go. That's it. Um, I encourage people to get uh, Dr. Metzl's book. Psychiatrist chair at Vanderbilt University. His book, Dying of Whiteness, highlights how policies passed by primarily white conservatives take away from the quality of life of white people, in addition to other people. All right. It's called Dying of Whiteness. It's a great book. The cops, police. They decide to hold a six-year-old at gunpoint with a mother, Aurora police. You know, the same police department, right, responsible for the death of Elijah McClain. Let me go to the video. At gunpoint, let's put it at full mass. <clears throat> the same Aurora Police Department involved in the death of Elijah McClain also held a little black girl six years of age at gunpoint. The city has now reached a settlement. The 2020 police officers in Aurora. They faced controversy after viral video showing Brittany Gilliam face down on the hot pavement of a parking lot with her six-year-old daughter and 12-year-old sister, as well as her two teenage nieces. Everybody is a child. Above them stand a group of Aurora police having their guns drawn. The department previously said they were conduct, conducting a high risk traffic stop, which calls for them to have their guns drawn to order the subjects to stop to get on the ground. The officer said the reason for the stop was because the vehicle 
had a license plate that matched a stolen car. Per the body camera, uh, camera footage on the Aurora police officers, each girl, each girl was placed in handcuffs, right? As if the, the six-year-old and the 12-year-old or the other, they, they're the ones who stole the car. So they're placed in handcuffs. The officers also attempted to detain the six-year-old um, whose screams uh, rang the loudest above the other girls as she pleaded, mommy, no, mommy, no, mommy, no, in the video as she watched a mother being taken into a patrol car. Um, turns out, Gilliam and the girls weren't the ones the cops were looking for. The police ended up falsely identifying their license plate as the one belonging to the stolen car. The digits were right, but the dumbasses didn't realize the state was wrong. <laughs> Okay, it's clearly on the license tag. Uh, the car was not stolen at all. Everybody's innocent. Everybody's just having a day out with the family. That's it. Nothing more. The real stolen vehicle isn't even a car, by the way. Um, it's a motorcycle, which was also part of the report that they missed somehow. There's more. Um, in reaching a settlement over three years later. The Denver suburb of Aurora has agreed to a $1.9 million settlement with Gilliam and the girls to resolve a lawsuit. They claimed the police officer's actions were uh, evidence of profound and systemic racism. A lawyer for the family, David Lane, announced on Monday, the money will be evenly divided among Gilliam and the four girls, with the girls' portions being placed into annuities so that the money will grow by the time they can access it when they're 18. I think that's a great idea. It's so sad they had to experience this, so sad. Uh, one of the officers who stopped the car, Darian Dasco, was suspended for a whopping 160 hours. He and the other officer, Madison Moen, still work for the department. The children were also provided with therapy by the city. An investigation by prosecutors found no evidence that the officers committed any crimes, only that they are complete dumbasses. I added that part, DA didn't say that I said that. So. What do we have? We have overzealous policing, uh, hyperaggression, uh, ignorance. Okay, so the report says it's from another state. You clearly see the tag. And it says it's a motorcycle. This is clearly not a motorcycle, but you decide it's a high risk stop, guns out. You don't ask a second question. I do believe racism was involved, hyperaggressive, or um, if it's not as pronounced. Uh, doesn't matter. The end result is the same, implicit bias or aggressive bias. And then once you hear children screaming, a six-year-old, a 12-year-old, other teenagers, you could not deduce quickly that this is not a high-risk stop at all. This is a family and something doesn't seem right. Maybe I need to look back at the information, but they didn't. They detained them, they put them in handcuffs, and now you have taxpayers footing the bill because, well, defunding the police is okay as long as the police are doing it. Wisely thoughts. This is, you know, we all have bad days, Dr. Richie. We all accept that. Oftentimes, when police officers have bad days, uh, the worst can happen, but this goes beyond just having a bad day. This is gross incompetence. <laughs> just the idea that you're looking for a stolen car and you can't even match the tags 
to the car, to the people. And then outside of that, you don't have the just the human component of understanding like, hmm, these don't seem like the typical carjackers. Uh, maybe, maybe I should do a little bit of extra work in, you know, trying to ascertain as to whether these people committed this crime. It's just, it's just gross incompetence. There's no other way to put it. Obviously. The police department should have to pay the price as far as restitution yeah. to these victims. But, you know, we see it all over and over again. And I wonder if even after a fine like this, even after a settlement like this, this department is going to do the top down cleanup that it's going to take to get this stuff out of it, out of their yeah. department. That's right. Um, all of those cops are on the same page, right? That's the part that's insane. Atiro, remember we reported on this? Had to, you know, take a urine, was in the car by himself, decided to do it discreetly. Cop pulls up, puts him on arrest. Charges have been dropped. Put up the picture. This was such an insane story. When I give you the twists and turns, your blood is going to boil because they literally they literally convicted this kid. Okay. So Mississippi judge has now dismissed the case against a child who was arrested in August for public urination. Tate County Youth Court Judge Rusty Harlow dismissed the case against the young Quintavious Easton, now 11, who was arrested for urinating in a parking lot. He needs to relieve himself, he does it discreetly, cop pulls up, all right? So Quintavious was arrested and transported to the Senatobia Police department after he relieved himself on private property near his mother's vehicle because signs said there were no public restrooms. He, he looked at them, he read them and said, No public restrooms here. He said, Well, damn, I still have to go. And so he makes a decision, does it discreetly, gets arrested. So the boy's mother, Latanya Eason, said at a news conference in September, an officer who was driving by spotted her son, stopped and went inside the business to look for her. Eason said she admonished her son, who was 10 years old at that time, for his behavior, and the officer seemed satisfied. So basically, mom says, Hey, you know better than that. You could have come and got me, right? Officer's like, All right, just, you know, just, just make sure, um, make sure he knows not to do things like that in public. Cool, no problem. Then another officer arrives. Another officer arrives. This is for a 10-year-old urinating. All right. Urinating is not happening anymore. More cops pull up, including the lieutenant. They got a supervisor here now, serious situation. Uh, and her son was then arrested because when the lieutenant came, lieutenant changed the whole spirit of things. Eason asked for an apology and the firing of several officers involved in the incident. Quintavious was sentenced to three months probation and assigned a two page book report on the late NBA player, Kobe Bryant. You, and you got to write about Kobe Bryant, young man, for what you've done. During a December youth court hearing, Mr. Moore told CNN, Eason was not declared delinquent, was not in need of supervision, and was not adjudicated, okay? So you never should have come to the place of probation. Days later, Mr. Moore responded saying the boy's family refused to sign the probation agreement. You damn right. We cannot 
According to the statement, we cannot in good conscience accept a probation agreement that treats a 10 year old child as a criminal. The terms proposed are not in the best interest of our client and we will take all necessary steps to challenge them, Moore said in the statement. The same day, their attorney filed a motion to have the case dismissed, stating it should be dismissed in its entirety because the arresting officer has been terminated for exceeding or executing an improper arrest on a minor, okay? Now you got fruit from a poisonous tree, basically. The filing also noted that Issa was 10, no criminal record, and um, and with the mental culpability of a child that age. All facts here. Uh, the reason why that's important is because juvenile courts basically take what's called a contractual standard for the juvenile, meaning the state of mind or the frame of mind has to be taken into consideration. All right, so that's how juvenile court works. Uh, the officer involved with this August incident was terminated about 10 days after the arrest. The police department did not release the officer's name. The officer's decisions violated our written policies and went against our prior training on how to deal with these situations. An August statement from the police chief said the other officers would be disciplined, it added. Now I wanna remind you, not only did they give this kid three months probation and some kind of ridiculous essay assignment, they also put as a stipulation that the kid has to go through drug screening. And for Mr. Moore, the attorney, he said, this is what you give to an adult who's actually committed a crime, not a 10 year old child. So he advised, don't sign that damn probation agreement. Let me file this motion to dismiss, get this before a judge with some sense. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, and the case has been dismissed over a 10 year old child. But you know, this was not about a 10 year old child. This was about putting black people in their place. Cop was fired for doing so or attempting to do so. It's insane. Wozni, hell of a case. Saga is over, but the uh, psychological trauma is going to stay with this child for a while. It's a great outcome, honestly, for something so horrible to happen. These guys, everybody involved should be dealt with and should be embarrassed. And oftentimes, yeah. you hear these cats, cops anyway, talk about the oath that they take. And they almost talk about copying, uh, policing, excuse me, as if it's it's sort of a calling. Like it's a virtue, like people who, you know, um, going to the priesthood or, uh, you know, uh, fellowship of some sort. Uh, when you lay in bed at night thinking about the job that you have to do as a cop, putting collars on 10 year olds, that, that, yeah. that just wow. can't be yeah. what it's about. Uh, this is horrible. And I'm glad these cats got dealt with. Yeah. Put it up full mass. This is a hell of a story. Mr. Giovanni Loyola claims in a lawsuit that police in Alabama, Alabama police handcuffed him so tightly for so long that his hand had to be amputated. There's your evidence right there. His trial is taking place later this year. One of the officers never turned on his body camera and the other Officer blocked, partially blocked the camera. Jefferson County Sheriff's deputies received a shots fired call at the home where Mr. Giovanni lived. Deputies Christopher 
Godbert and Ashanti McInney, named defendants in the lawsuit, arrived, knocked on the door, pushed him, which caused Godbert to put Mr. Giovanni in handcuffs. Giovanni stated he was handcuffed for no reason. The deputy, Godbert, said that Giovanni was, was resisting arrest and trying to get up. So he struck him multiple times to gain compliance. Okay, quote, I ain't even resisting. Why y'all acting like this? He said, according to the memo that referenced the body camera, he later said, it hurts. To which the deputy, Godbert, responded, well, that's what happens when you F with the police. End quote. So Giovanni complained that the handcuffs were too tight. He said it. But Godbert ignored him, according to the lawsuit. Quote, Deputy Godbert refused to even consider loosening the handcuffs. He kept the handcuffs on plaintiff with the same degree of tightness until he had transported him to the Jefferson County Jail that night, the lawsuit says. This was filed in 2021. Um, Manasco wrote in her memo that Giovanni told deputies he had injured his left hand in a motorcycle crash and the handcuffs felt really tight around it. Godber loosened the cuffs and asked Giovanni if they were too tight, to which he responded, no, according to what's written. Now, officers filed a disorderly conduct and disturbing the peace charge. Wait a minute, y'all came to his house. So they filed a disorderly conduct and disturbing the peace charge. Prosecutors dropped the case. All right, they were like, yeah, no. You don't go to somebody's house and say, you're being disorderly, we're gonna arrest you. So they dropped the case. All right, let's put up the picture. They dropped the case. Um, four days after his arrest, he went to the hospital. You see the discoloring on his fingers. Look at this, it's horrible. Doctors partially amputated three fingers due to a lack of circulation. And eventually, they had to take off his entire hand. It's horrible, he said. In a 2020, 2020, excuse me, 2021 interview with AL.com, quote, I don't wish that pain on nobody. It's just really unexpected. I have no words for it, end quote. The suit filed in federal court in April claims deputy used excessive force and that his civil rights were violated. The Jefferson County Sheriff's Office, which declined to comment, then denied to the court that deputies handcuffing Giovanni led to his hand being amputated um, and requested a lawsuit be tossed. Wow. All right. Um, a gym employee, according to the poster, harasses uh, him, all right, because of race or seeming out of place. We'll let you decide. Here it is. Well, what, do you, what, what are we leaving for? Question. What are we, okay, so look, right? What are we leaving for? We've been asked to leave for because what reason? I asked you to see your ID. Okay, you so now again, hold on, hold on. ID. Okay, okay, so, so at the end of the day, right, when you say something is policy, right? That means it's supposed to be followed by everybody that works here, right? And it's now, hold on, hold on. I'm asking you a question. I'm not arguing. With you it's not an argument. It's not an argument. Right? I'm if asking you, you a leave, question. I will call the police. To call the police for what? You need for to what leave reason? Now. For what reason? You need to. For leave what now. reason? Yeah, call the police. I don't. I don't mind. No, you call them. Your phone's right there. Your phone's right there. Your phone's right there. For what? She's a member and she has guest services. I'm here. I'm here as a guest. No, hold on. No, no. You, your employees. Your no, 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 no. I'm not. We're not arguing. It's not an argument. Hold on. Can you listen to me real quick? No, I'm not listening. You need to. Okay, who's your manager? I am the manager. Who is your manager? Let me go grab my manager. Will, no, we'll go with you. Come on, let's go. Let's go. 
You're not gonna intimidate. I'm not intimidating I'm nothing. Listen, my my camera been rolling this That's whole excellent. time, so ain't nobody intimidated you. Let's go. I have to see no, no, no. And I asked you about your policy. Yep. And here's what happened next. But when I'm came, being came to being disrespected, in a sense, and then and then you want to throw. Please don't look at me like that. Cut it out because you're looking real aggressive. Your arms are crossed, and you're in a manner that is making me very uncomfortable. So, so now, no, I'm calm. But she's. I've been. I was threatened with the police. She called the police, and I did absolutely nothing wrong. I asked her a question. Then she goes on to say, "You're not going to intimidate me. I've been recording this conversation ever since it started. I never once got intimidated to her, aggressive or nothing." I, I'm very calm. Yep, put it up for a mask. Okay, um, the video was posted last week. According to the post, it occurred in Colorado. Gym employee harassed him. He's a personal trainer, has a person that he trains, and guest services are provided. He provided more details of the incident and what happened after. According to him, uh, Dale's men, I believe. Uh, so, a person I do personal training for myself went, uh, went to Vasa Gym today in Colorado Springs, Nevada location. And this was the outcome. Not only did the cops come, they complimented my approach and said, maybe the gym should hire me to help with customer service as we parted ways. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, personal trainers are a thing when you are uh, engaged in a gym membership. You can have them. It's called guest services. It's normative. Um, and I get his frustration uh, for sure. I definitely understand it. So Wozniak. Uh, like he was like, hey, listen, there's a lot of people in this gym. Why are you coming to me? Yeah, they just didn't like the way the guy uh, looked. It's okay. obvious uh, because at the end of the day, every single gym, when you're getting a membership, what they push on you and what they tell you about is like, oh, you can bring, you can even bring guests. This is every, every single gym. That's right. So we, so it's not every single person in there is a member. Everybody knows that at every gym. It, it, I mean, first and foremost, the people who work there. So obviously, this was discriminatory, and they targeted this guy for the way that he presented himself. Yeah. All right. Dear brother, always good to have you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. Um, Big Wise on every single social media platform. Obviously, you guys can catch me all over the place on TYT and the ringer.com. You can see all of my work. Thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure. Peace, guys. All right. Remember, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.